Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, I see you, membership leader. I see how hard you're working over there. I see how you're doing your best to be helpful to your people and for your organization. And sometimes that feels very, very hard to do. What do members want from us? How can we help in ways that don't burn us out or exceed the resources that we have available? In what ways can we make the biggest difference? In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of people and organizations who asked one simple question, how can we be helpful? I'm your host, Joy Dooling, and my business, The Joy of Membership, is all about giving membership-based organizations the structure and supports you need to deliver your best work to members every single day. I'm here to help you because I know that you are here to help them. Let's do that together. Recently, I've had the opportunity to work closely with this week's podcast guest as we've collaborated on a client project. When I needed a fundraising specialist to help with the project, she was the first name that jumped to mind. Julie Sutton is not only a consultant who specializes in fundraising, but she's also the executive director for the Association of Development Officers, a membership organization that is comprised of members who are all keenly focused on increasing donor engagement, raising more money, and communicating impact more effectively. I talked with Julie about how her organization continued to foster a sense of community, even during a time when in-person meetings were not an option, and how getting back to a core focus on her organization's purpose was really useful. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with Julie Sutton. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you came today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I typically start these interviews by asking guests to share who you are and who you help. All right. So my name is Julie Sutton and I I really wear two hats. I'm a fundraising consultant. I work with sort of small nonprofits, helping them really build the infrastructure they need to be successful fundraising with limited resources. And then I also run a um, professional association for fundraisers. It's called the Association of Development Officers. Great. So tell us about the Association for Development Officers. And what ADO, does, ADO, what does that, and what does that organization do? 
So ADO is a local grassroots organization. It was founded about, this is actually our 40th year. Wow. It was founded by some development directors sitting around a table in a restaurant talking about how hard the work is and, and trying to figure out how they could support each other. So they started doing educational workshops. So to this day, we do a monthly educational workshop on diff- all different kind of fundraising and communications topics. But I think what really what, what sets us apart and what I'm most proud of is this welcoming, wonderful, supportive community that we've created. Well, and that's um, like a lot of organizations that's probably created a big shift for you over the last few months, all of the adjustments that organizations have needed to make because of COVID when you can't bring people physically together for trainings and meetings and such. How are you continuing that sense of community in sort of this brave new world that we're all navigating? Yeah, so that's been a big adjustment. I mean, as everyone's had to, because I've always said really the value is you walk into the room, we would have these workshops with 75 people and every single person you talk to would be happy to sit down for coffee or lunch and share their best ideas and their samples and their connections. So not having that, we really had to shift toward, uh, we continue to do the monthly workshops as webinars and that's fine. But what we did was we, we created a Facebook group that was open to the community. This was back in March and I'm in New York. So we were hit very hard, very early. And I think we all kind of felt this just need to to connect. So we hadn't done any video meetings in the past, but we just got a Zoom subscription and we picked a a date and a time. We're like, Wednesday's at one, we're just gonna convene. And my board president and I figured, you know, if it's just the two of us, fine, we'll have a late lunch every Wednesday. But we ended up getting, you know, between 40 and 60 people every week. Sometimes we had topics, sometimes it was just, you know, just being like seeing each other's faces and, you know, kind of getting through this time that was really challenging. And eventually we went to every other week. And then after I think about eight sessions, we stopped doing that because it just didn't like, I think, you know, it just didn't feel like it, it wasn't so raw. It didn't We didn't necessarily need to, to do that. And what we ended up doing instead was we convened smaller groups of our members. So over the summer, we had a series of these peer group conversations that did have a topic, but they weren't a presentation. They were, you know, come talk about uh, shifting to a virtual gala or come talk about, you know, what you're doing with your direct mail or how you're cultivating donors when you can't sit down with them. That was really a nice kind of shift to where we were really focusing on what our members needed in this time. The other thing we've done is we, we've added a community calendar to our website for, for virtual fundraisers, not so much to help sell tickets and find sponsors, but really to, to have so that our community can look and see, oh, this person's doing something just like what I'm doing. I'm going to reach out. And all of them have the planner listed, like who is actually working on the event so that we can connect, you know, peers, individuals who are doing similar events. Did you notice anything that was specifically different about your member needs over the last six months from, you know, what you had been supplying to members before? Well, we do a September to June educational programming schedule. So we, so we had two workshops left when we were unable to meet in the spring and we ended up changing both topics to fundraising during this time, because this is, you know, just whether it's what you're raising money for or how you're raising money, you know, everything was different. 
So, so we didn't stick with the original topics. And then when we sat down in the summer to talk about what would have been a September through June year, we decided we were only going to focus on the fall and just pick the four workshops and have them commit that they were going to be virtual because we'd love to start meeting in person in next year if we can, but we don't know. We don't have enough information. So as far as the topics that we chose for the fall, I would say, I mean, they are definitely still specific to this time. I think a few years from now, look at our schedule for 2020, you know, just what was happening. But I think, again, it's just continuing to provide the support and the community and the connection is just as important as the the content. Julie, do you have any insight into what organizations are doing differently? I mean, and here I'm talking about, you know, the, you have members who are development officers within, you know, nonprofits. So, you know, all of them presumably had fundraising activities, had events, things like that scheduled. Do you have a sense of what those development officers are doing differently with their organizations, you know, during this time, how has their work shifted? Well, I mean, I think one of the big challenges is that we have a lot of small nonprofits that rely very heavily on special events mm-hmm. for fundraising. So I think, it, you know, if, if one good thing can come out of this time, it's that they've been forced to really shift their activities toward more building individual relationships with donors and and less relying on that kind of transactional event fundraising. So I think that's a big piece of it. It's also highlighted the need to have those relationships in place before you need them <laughs> because you know to to turn around right now and say you know we, we all of a sudden we need you and you haven't really been paying attention to donors in that way I think is is a challenge. Oh, I think that is really insightful. It's so true. Yeah. So the other thing I've noticed, and I think maybe this is a a short-term change, so the challenge will be next year kind of continuing this, is that a lot of funders, whether they're foundations or individuals, have been very flexible and have said kind of, you know, use this, this funding kind of however you need it and have bent over backwards. Like we have a, a programmatic grant that we get every year. And there've always been some restrictions. You can't use it on this, this, and this. And this year they were like, come to us with whatever you need. We're being very flexible. We're being very you know, open to, to different models, but I don't know that that's going to be so true next year. So I think that kind of got people through this time, but they definitely need to be thinking about, you know, how that 12 months, six months, you know, 12, 18 months down the road, how that, how that plays out. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I know some of the organizations that I've worked with, when they have been pursuing those um, grants and funding sources, usually it's very specific how you can use those funds. So I'm glad that there was some flexibility this year, but I suspect you're right. That's um, probably going to be short-lived and those funders will be back to the tight and narrow purposes. So hopefully organizations have used this time to think creatively, build some new relationships, do all of those things that you and your members have probably been advising them all along. (laughs) Well, and I think even like with the video calls, like we hadn't, it's something that we had always said, like, oh, we should do virtual events or we should do peer group conversations. And we weren't, we, you know, it wasn't until we had this push to actually do it that we started doing it. But the same is true with donor cultivation is you can do a town hall with your executive director and get your, your top donors. You know, it's a little FaceTime. It's, you know, I think there are 
tools that we've had to use right now that will continue to be really useful when it comes to relationship building and and are certainly more efficient. You know, you're not driving around parking and paying for meals and that type of thing. Well, Julie, I think you've already kind of touched on this, but what do you think other organizations can learn from ADO? I suspect that we're all in the same boat. Like everyone's had to go to a virtual platform. And if I never hear the word pivot again, I will be very happy. I I don't know that we've done anything that's so remarkable or unique. I think really it was sort of thinking through in the early days, what is our unique value to our membership? And that was about the, the supportive community. So, you know, everything we've done from March to today is really about perpetuating that sense of supportive community. I love that you went back to that question of kind of what's what's our core purpose? What's the thing that our members need from us most right now? Absolutely love that. So tell me, um, what are you most excited about as you look forward into the future? <laughs> I'm really excited about going back to our in-person workshops. You know, every time we see each other on Zoom, it's always like, oh, it's so good to see you. So good to see you. I mean, I think I am, I'm excited to kind of continue some of the things that we've built in this time, but also to go back to our bread and butter, which is just that feeling of kind of celebrating the work of our local nonprofits and our hardworking fundraising staff and being able to do that in person. Thank you so much for sharing your organization story. I really appreciate it. And I think people are going to you know, find value from this conversation. You know, if, if nothing else from the fact that, you know, so many are in the exact same situation and just your words of wisdom around returning to that core purpose of you know, what members need from us right now and not to say pivot, <laughs> but how you kind of adjust to a situation that we don't have a whole lot of control over and figure out what to do next. So I think yours is a story of resilience and hopefully things are going to get back to those in-person meetings very, very soon. So um, thanks so much and uh, take care. All right. Thanks. I realized after Julie and I signed off that I had completely forgotten to ask her where you can learn more about her. So I just wanted to append that to this interview real quick. You can find Julie Sutton on LinkedIn. Her last name is spelled S as in Sam, O-O-T-I-N. So look for her on LinkedIn and you can learn more about the Association of Development Officers at adoonline.org. I will put a link to both in the show notes. Over the years, I've worked with a lot of organizations that share with me that the most important part of their work is done through the connections that are built at live, in-person events. They tell me that the events feel different and that when members walk into the room, they feel like they are with their people. Have you ever felt that kind of powerful connection, perhaps with your own membership, but also maybe with a group of friends or at an organization where you volunteer or maybe with a sports team? There's something magnetic about being around people who truly understand and accept you. When you gather a whole bunch of people who feel that way about each other, the experience becomes even stronger. 
most membership organizations are gathered around common interests that make logical sense. People who work in the same industry, parents who have children in the same school, patients who have the same healthcare condition. However, not all of these organizations will foster that same sort of powerful connection between people. So what is it that makes the difference? What takes an organization between people who are alike and morphs them into people who actually like each other? I personally believe that organizations that do this well are like really great dinner party hosts. They make sure that new people are introduced to each other. They point out commonalities and they use conversation starters to build real connections. They are watchful for awkward silences and they jump in when someone is looking lost or disconnected. They keep things moving, ensuring that food and drink are flowing and that entertainment is enjoyable. They're just keeping an eye out on the overall experience, and they're being very intentional about that. Great hosts know that these things don't just naturally happen. It always takes pre-planning and a watchful eye during the experience. But when it's done effectively, people remember the party as a place where they made some great connections, just like they'll come to know your organization as a place where they experience deep connections with other members if you do these sorts of things for your members. Now, if creating an exceptional member experience is something that you believe is important, I invite you to check out the Member Experience Makeover, my signature program for understanding what value is and how you can deliver it. This program is specifically designed for those of you who are running associations, trade groups, and membership-based nonprofits, and it will help you deeply understand what your members want and what they need from you in every step of their journey with your organization. During the process, which you can take at your own pace, I guide you through a deep assessment of what's currently happening in your membership, and then we plan out exactly what to do to fill growth gaps and build on strengths. And every organization has both. There are some areas of gap and some areas of strength. You can see all the details about the program at joyofmembership.com slash makeover. And there's even a little gadget there on that page to submit any questions you might have about whether the program is a perfect fit for you or for a member of your team. Check it out. And I hope to see you in there real soon. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less 
than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech. joyofmembership.com slash tech. T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.